Let's pray. Jesus, Jesus, how we trust you. How we trust you this morning, Jesus. We trust you. And we thank you for inviting us into worship this morning. That it is by your initiative that we get to come. And it is by you that you send us out. Thank you for this space and this time. We bless you and we pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. So before I start, I want to welcome uh, John again into our church family. So welcome, John. And then secondly, Don, I just want to say, you said this a couple weeks ago on a Sunday when we were still in the FLC, that it, it amazes you how when you're planning services and you don't talk to any of us, how everything just somehow happens to come together. The songs, the prayers, the baby dedication, just this whole morning has been about the faithfulness of God. So I'm really grateful for the time you dedicate to doing that and the work of the Spirit in that. So, all right, now I'll start. So, good morning, K1. My name is Jacob Gouge. Um, For those of you that don't know me, my wife, Megan, and I moved back uh, to Kankakee from Kansas City um, this, this past May. I am the youth pastor here at K1, and my wife, Megan, is a resident director at Olivet. We're so grateful to be a part of this church family. It really is a blessing um, to be with you guys every Sunday and Wednesday and other days of the week. It's been an honor to serve alongside the pastoral staff Um, to get to know various people, and to minister to the teens. It has been a joy also to come alongside the Twibles, as well as all of you, as we go through this difficult time once more. And when I say once more, um, some of you that are are new uh, may not know what I mean by that. Um, This is the second time our senior pastor in the past two years has been diagnosed with cancer, and the second pastor in about four years that's been diagnosed with cancer. To say this church has gone through difficult times is an understatement. But here's the thing. God has been faithful. And I haven't been here the whole time, but I know that you have been resilient people. I'm excited to see how as we continue to trust Him and seek Him in the midst of the unknown that we're experiencing as a church, the ways that He'll move. Honestly, I wouldn't, Megan and I wouldn't want to be anywhere else. And we believe that he's brought us back to Kankakee, to Kankakee First Church, for such a time as this. It's not by mistake that we're back. And I believe God is wanting to move in our midst. But he's looking for our agreement. He's looking for us as a church to say yes to what he's wanting to do. In the ancient Greek, there's two words for time. There's chronos and there's kairos. Chronos time is chronological time. So when you see a clock or you see a calendar, the hours and the days, they follow in chronological order. Kairos is defined as an opportune time for action. For example, when you see someone in need and you take the opportunity to respond to whatever that need may be. 
You did not plan to see that person and act, but you took advantage of the opportunity and responded. That is a really, really broad example of Kairos time, um, but I hope that it gives you a little bit of a difference between Kronos and Kairos. I believe that we as K1 are in a Kairos moment in time. For ex- now is the opportune time for action. The question becomes, what opportunity is being presented to us, and how should we respond to God and one another? If you have your Bibles or your iPads or your phones, you can turn, scroll, or swipe with me to John chapter 11 to find out what this opportunity is and how we as a church can respond to it. While you find your way to John, let's take a look at who wrote the book and why he wrote it. The book of John, as many of you probably already know, is written by the beloved disciple John. The purpose of him writing the book can be found in John 20, 30-31, which says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. The man Christ Jesus is the main subject of the book of John. John's purpose was to share with the generations to follow him who the word became flesh was, that many would believe in Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord. To this day, believers oftentimes will give unbelievers or those close to making a commitment to following Jesus small copies of the book, the Gospel of John. It's also one of the first books that people encourage new believers to read um, as they become a new believer. I'm so fascinated by the Gospel of John. And let me tell you why. And all of his other New Testament writings, really. Because they contain his first-hand accounts of being with Jesus. In 1 John 1, 1 through 1-2, John says, That which was from the beginning which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands. Concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. Think about it for a moment. John walked, talked, ate, laughed, and cried with Jesus. I imagine he and the other disciples even slept in the same space, vicinity, as Jesus did. I think Jesus slept at least. Yes, he did because he slept on the boat. But anyways, um, I, I imagine what that could have been like to see God himself sleeping. That, that blows my mind just to think about it. If anyone knew the man Christ Jesus, it was John. Therefore, when we read, study, and meditate on his gospel, it is important to understand that he saw and heard what he wrote about. He saw Jesus at the well with the Samaritan woman. He saw Jesus feed the 5,000 and later say, I am the bread of life. He saw Martha approach Jesus to tell him if he had been there, her brother would not have died. 
And he heard Jesus say, I am the resurrection and the life. Since he saw and heard these things and so much more, we have to ask the question, why does he include what he includes in each of his accounts? This morning, we have to ask ourselves, why does he include the details he includes in the story of Lazarus? Before we dive into the story, let's pray one more time. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that there is life in your word. And right now, we simply ask that by your spirit, you would come, that you would breathe upon the pages of the word, and that you, Holy Spirit, would be our teacher this morning. Let you be the teacher in this place. And we ask and pray all of that in Jesus' name. Amen. Starting at verse 1, John 11, verse 1. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. So the But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. He did what? Let's read verses 5 through 6 one more time. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister Mary. And Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. How is waiting two more days love? For us, it's a little easier to read because we know the end of the story. But for Martha and Mary, all that they knew was Lazarus was sick and Jesus could do something about it. Let's continue at verse 7 to find out why Jesus waits those two days. Then after this, he said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. Lazarus dies. Mary and Martha's faith in Jesus is tested. And the disciples think Jesus is crazy because he wants to go back to the place where people tried to just stone him. But in verses 14 through 15, we find out why Jesus waits. And the opportunity his waiting created for everyone involved. He says, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there. 
so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Jesus waits because he's wanting to give the disciples, Martha and Mary, the opportunity to express their faith in him. He waits to see what the disciples, Mary and Martha, truly believe about who he is and what he's capable of doing. According to the Beacon Bible Commentary, verses 9 through 14 set the theme for the entire chapter. There's a cosmic struggle between darkness and light, death and life, evil and good. It is particularized in one man, Lazarus. He is dead. Into this human situation, Jesus was set to go, to evoke faith in those who live, to impart life to the one who is dead. Jesus goes to evoke faith in those who live. Jesus does not want to perform this miracle, do the impossible apart from the agreement of his beloved friends. He wants them to believe that he can perform the miracle even before he does it. Not for the sake of a miracle at all, but for the sake of them believing that he is the Son of God who's able to do the impossible. I want to clarify one thing real quick. God does not need our agreement to do a miracle, to do the impossible. He's sovereign. He's capable of doing it without us. But he desires our faith, our agreement. He actually desires it. Jesus says in John 17, verse 24, Father, I desire that they may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory. He has given us the honor of partnering with and asking him to do the impossible. He desires for us to believe and act in response to our belief. Faith is not only belief, it is also action. Therefore, he wants us to act by asking him to do the impossible. So Jesus goes to Bethany to stir up their faith. When he arrives, he's met with two very different yet similar responses. So starting again at verse 17. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. The first response is from Martha. She meets Jesus outside the city limits. She says to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. 
But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Martha's response is a response of safe faith. She really did believe that if Jesus had been there, her brother would not have died. Totally believed that. But since he had not come in time, she had accepted the circumstances at final. In her mind, even though Jesus had finally come, it was too late. She plays it safe. She answers Jesus with very correct theology, but does not invite him into her pain because she's not for sure Jesus can do anything about it. Then Jesus teaches Martha a very important lesson. He reveals to her that the resurrection isn't only going to happen when he returns for a second time to judge the living and the dead. He reveals that when he is present, resurrection and life follow because that is who he is. Resurrection and life follow because that is who he is. He attempts to show her that he is capable of raising Lazarus from the dead, regardless of how long it had been since he died. Although Jesus attempts to teach her this lesson, she does not necessarily understand and goes to get her sister Mary. So picking back up at verse 28. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? The second response is from Mary. Martha goes to get Mary and tells her that the teacher is asking for her. But there's nowhere in these verses that we just read where Jesus tells Martha to go get Mary. It's not found in there. I mean, I double-checked, triple-checked, quadruple-checked to make sure Jesus didn't say that, and he didn't. So why did Martha tell Mary this? Could it be that Martha knew? Could it be? I, I can't prove it. But could it be that Martha knew Mary possessed a faith beyond hers? I think that Martha did. Again, I can't prove that. I believe Martha knew this because she had been watching Mary since Jesus visited their home a few months before and watched her sit at Jesus' feet and hear him teach. 
So she tells Mary to go and meet Jesus. What happens next happens fast. And if we're not paying attention, we'll miss it. Mary runs to Jesus. She falls at Jesus' feet and says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She says the exact same words as Martha. Exact, word for word. But it evokes a very different response in Jesus. Mary's response of vulnerable faith moves Jesus to act. Her tears move Jesus to tears, which compels him to ask, where have you buried Lazarus? Mary felt the loss of her brother while at the same time believed that Jesus could still change things. She believed that Jesus was the resurrection and the life. The disconnect between her circumstances and what Jesus could do did not hinder her from believing that he could resurrect her brother. I want you guys to feel this scene, this moment. Feel it for a moment. What circumstances are you facing that cause you to weep? Where are you vulnerable? Have you invited Jesus into the vulnerable places or are you holding him at a distance? Occasionally hoping that maybe, possibly, potentially, he could change things. Vulnerable faith is not a matter of asking God to fix it, fix it, fix it. It's a matter of feeling the disconnect between how things are and how they could be with God's intervention. Abba, our Father, wants us to feel it, feel it, feel it. And from the place of feeling our helplessness and our inability to do anything, ask Him to intervene. This type of faith is produced when we come to the end of ourselves and realize there's nothing we can do. This is where I believe we find ourselves as a church. We are at a crossroads. Especially those of you that have been here much longer than me. You've been through so much. The loss of a pastor to cancer. Two diagnoses of cancer for our current pastor. Conflict and other things. In the midst of this, I truly believe that God's given us a genuine, unique opportunity to express our faith. Not only faith for our pastor to be healed, but faith for our church to be healed and revival to come to our church. There are two ways for us to respond moving forward, the way that I see it at least. We can respond with safe faith and keep God at a distance, again, hoping that maybe, potentially, possibly, if he wants, he can change things. Or we can respond with vulnerable faith. We can fall on our knees and we can vulnerably cry out to God with our hands raised, whatever posture you need to take, and ask Him to heal our church. Ask Him to heal our pastor. Ask Him to bring revival to our church and the church in this city. It's not too late. It's not too late for you, Andrew, to, f to receive 
the full healing promised to you. It's not too late. It's not too late for K1 to be healed and relationships reconciled. Let me say that again. It's not too late for you, Andrew. And it's not too late for our church to be healed and relationships reconciled. It's not too late for revival to come to our church and the church in our city. It is not too late. For such a time as this, God is going to do the impossible. The altars are open. My sermon was short this morning. And the invitation is really simple, guys. Will we cry out until God intervenes and does what he's promised to do? Amen.